Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we look at the Lancaster County, Pennsylvania Community Foundation, which has implemented restrictions that could keep Christian groups from receiving funds. It's not the only community foundation in the nation to use non-discrimination policies to exclude Christian groups. We'll have some details. And we also have updates on stories that we've been covering for a while. First, Hillsong. And secondly, the breakup of the United Methodist Church. We begin today with news of significant membership decline in the Southern Baptist Convention. The long, slow decline of the nation's largest Protestant denomination continues. Membership in the Southern Baptist Convention was down by nearly half a million in 2022, according to a recently released report from the denomination. Nashville-based LifeWay Research, which is the research arm of the SBC, reported on Tuesday that the denomination had 13.2 million members in 2022. Now, that's down from just under 13.7 million in 2021. That's a loss of about 457,000 members in one year. That's the largest single-year decline in more than a century, according to the annual church profile compiled by LifeWay. Once a denomination of more than 16 million, the SBC has declined by 1.5 million members since 2018 and by more than 3 million members since 2006. The COVID-19 pandemic played a role in the downturn, as did the reality that older members are dying off and fewer younger members are coming into the denomination to replace them. The denomination has also been in a constant state of crisis in recent years. It has, including a major sex abuse scandal, controversies over race, and an ongoing feud over the denomination's leadership and future direction. Church membership roles had also likely been a little bloated, filled with people who are no longer part of a Southern Baptist Church congregation, and they've been purged from the roles. The denomination also lost about 415 churches and another 165 church-type missions, according to the report. Even as membership dropped, attendance at worship services continues to recover from pandemic lows. They did. Attendance was up about 5% to 3.8 million in 2022 after falling from 4.4 million in 20 to 3.6 million in 2021, largely due to COVID disruptions. Now, by the way, Natasha, I don't want to gloss over that huge discrepancy in the membership number, which is more than 13 million, and the attendance number, which is less than 4 million. Uh, That's only about 25% of the people who are members actually showing up on a Sunday morning. I'll have more to say about that, by the way, in my editor's notebook column that we'll be posting on Saturday. Was there any good news in this report? 
Well, there was. A church has reported over 180,000 baptisms in 2022. That's up 16% from the year before. Like attendance, baptisms took a steep hit uh, before the pandemic uh, from 235,000 in 2019 to 123,000, really only about half in 2020. Baptism numbers then began increasing again in 2021. I should say that despite the decline in members and attendance, giving to the SBC has remained steady for the past few years. Receipts at SBC churches totaled nearly $10 billion last year. That's up 2% from 2021. In a related story, a Southern Baptist pastor in Maryland recently organized a fundraiser to help sexual abuse survivors travel to the denomination's convention in New Orleans this June. Reverend Keith Meyer, who leads the Harvest Baptist Church in Salisbury, Maryland, organized a GoFundMe fundraiser in March to financially assist nine sexual abuse survivors in their travel, lodging, and food expenses. They raised $16,293, to be precise. Just over their $16,250 goal came from about 195 donations. Most of the donations were $100 or less, but one anonymous donor gave $1,000 and Cornerstone Baptist Church gave $2,000. Meyer said that he hopes the funds will help sexual abuse survivors know that they have an advocate and that their voices at the annual meeting matter. Warren, we've been covering the Australian megachurch Hillsong for several years now, and it's back in the news again. It is. uh, The daughter of former Hillsong leader Brian Houston and her husband have resigned as global pastors of Hillsong Young and Free, which is the Australia megachurch's church-based youth ministry. The resignations of Peter and Laura Toganivalu, who are sometimes nicknamed the Togses, were announced by Phil Dooley, who has been uh, appointed the senior pastor at Hillsong. Uh, He made that announcement May 7th at a worship service. Brian Houston was Hillsong's global pastor, you may recall, until he resigned in March of 2022. And the Togses are not the only high-profile Christian leaders to leave their post this week. The Reverend Scott Sauls is an influential evangelical pastor and author. He's been placed on indefinite leave of absence from his Nashville church. It's a church that he's pastored since 2012. His leave was announced also on May the 7th uh, during a member meeting at Christ Presbyterian Church, which is a prominent Presbyterian church in America congregation. In a video message to the congregation, Saul's apologized for an unhealthy leadership style that harmed the people who worked for him and the church. Saul's made clear that he had not been involved in any sexual sin or substance abuse. He said that he would seek counseling and repentance during his leave and that he hoped to someday reconcile with people that he had harmed. The leave comes after an investigation by Christ Presbyterian itself and by the Nashville Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America. 
That investigation was prompted by a letter sent by a number of former Christ Presbyterian staffers who raised concerns about Saul's conduct as a leader. Saul's is the author, by the way, of several well-regarded Christian books, including A Gentle Answer and Irresistible Faith. Warren, we need to take a break here. When we return, the story of a community foundation in Pennsylvania that has worked with Christian groups for years. Its new policies are forcing some of these ministries to look for alternatives. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, next up, the story we promised before the break is the story of the Lancaster County Community Foundation. This Pennsylvania foundation has given millions of dollars in grants to Christian groups over the years, but that could end. Yeah, the Lancaster County Community Foundation is, of course, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is a hub of evangelical Christian ministries, kind of also in the heart of Amish and Mennonite country as well. It announced that nonprofit groups must post their non-discrimination policies in order to participate in the foundation's annual Extra Give event. It also published what it calls an anti-hate policy containing a broad definition of hateful activities, which could include misinformation targeting an individual or group based on their sexual orientation. The change in policy caused many Christian groups to pull out of the Extra Give event. The number of groups participating in Extra Give dropped from 516 in 2021 to only 452 in 2022. In 2021, the event raised over $16 million, but in 22, only $10 million. One of the Christian groups that pulled out was Veritas Academy, a local Christian school. Yeah, Veritas Academy uh, told Ministry Watch's reporter Kim Roberts that it had adopted non-discrimination policies, but the school had deeper concerns about the foundation's new requirement. In a letter to parents explaining why the school had decided to withdraw from Extra Give, Veritas headmaster Ty Fisher said that the Lancaster County Community Foundation sent out example policies indicating that Christian views of sexuality and morality would be interpreted by LCCF as hateful 
and wrong. That's a quote from the letter, by the way. He added that Veritas learned a group had been, in fact, removed from participating in Extra Give because of its commitment to a biblical sexual ethic that put them at odds with LCCF's policies. Right. In addition to the groups that voluntarily pulled out of Extra Give, one group was forced out by the Lancaster County Foundation. That's right. A group removed from Extra Give was the Christian Ministry Harvest USA, whose mission is to help those affected by sexual struggles, including same-sex attraction. Aware of these actions, Fisher said that his school, Veritas Academy, could not participate in an event that manipulated groups toward changing their policies just to receive the financial blessing of Extra Give. It's important to note that not all faith-based organizations in the Lancaster area withdrew from Extra Give. On its website, Water Street Mission, for example, said that it would remain a part of the fundraiser. And here's a quote from its statement. The Extra Give is a community-wide event that enables Water Street Mission to share our heart, our purpose, and our impact with thousands of our neighbors who may not be familiar with our work. Uh, the requirement to post its non-discrimination policy did not require any policy changes just the necessity of posting the policy itself. There is an alternative for Lancaster area Christian ministries that still wish to participate in a community fundraising event. That one's called Faithful Give. Yeah, that's right. But community foundations exist all over the country, and they've been effective ways for donors to channel funds to local needs. However, we've been seeing uh, this happen more and more. Uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, for example, uh, has been having a similar controversy, causing Christian ministries to back out of the annual giving day there. So we've assigned, by the way, Kim Roberts, the reporter who brought us the Lancaster County story, to cover the Lincoln story. And you'll see that on the website in the weeks ahead. Next up, the United Methodist bishops have proposed a five-day meeting of the denomination's global decision-making body at the General Conference in May 2026. That announcement comes at the end of the Council of Bishops spring meeting, which took place last week in Chicago, and a weekend that saw hundreds of United Methodist churches in the United States leave the denomination. The 2026 General Conference would focus on reestablishing connection within the United Methodist Church, lamenting, healing, and recasting the vision and mission of the mainline denomination after years of strife over LGBTQ issues, according to a press release published Monday, May 8th, on the Council of Bishops website. Delegates to the General Conference also would consider a more regional governance structure, which they say would better support the remaining uh, congregations within the denomination. Now, there are currently about 30,000 U.S. UMC churches. And there's been another development in the United Methodist Church breakup. There has. Uh, last year, White's Chapel United Methodist Church, which is a large congregation in a wealthy suburb of Dallas, uh, overwhelmingly voted to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. 
but it also did not join with the conservative global Methodist church. Today, the church, which draws about 2,000 people on any given Sunday, belongs to a denomination that it has created, a denomination so far of one church. It's a network it is calling the Methodist Collegiate Church, and it's hoping to attract other moderate churches to its newly formed denomination. At least 50 churches from six different states already have reached out to White's Chapel about joining the Methodist Collegiate Church. But the church uh, must await its annual conference uh, approval for its disaffiliation before it can invite other churches to officially join this collegium. The Central Texas Conference is expected to vote to approve pending disaffiliations, including White's Chapel, at its meeting slated for June 4 through 6 in Waco, Texas. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, we've been writing about donor-advised funds uh, for several years here at Ministry Watch and Tasha. In general, we're fans of donor-advised funds. They allow high-capacity donors or donors who have once-in-a-lifetime event. For example, the sale of a business that they have built over the course of their career to mitigate the one-time tax consequences of these singular events. But donor-advised funds can be abused. Yeah, they can. Uh, It's possible, for example, to put money in a donor-advised fund in order to get a big tax write-off, but then the money just kind of sits there and doesn't get distributed to the people and organizations who need it most. But new research says that this problem is easing. Yeah, annual giving from donor-advised funds tends to increase over time the longer a donor-advised fund is open. That is according to a new study. Researchers found that unrestricted and recurring grants from donor-advised funds tend to increase over time, providing nonprofits a cushion against economic volatility and an incentive for them to align their fundraising outreach strategies accordingly. 
Vanguard Charitable, a sponsor of DAFs, found that annual giving from a typical Vanguard donor account rose over time. The number of grants also tended to go up over time from a yearly average of 5.7 during the first three years an account is open to 6.5 after three years and 7.2 after seven years. Then after that, it starts to decline again. However, even with fewer grants, donors with more tenure, uh, more than 10 years was a cutoff date that they studied, still give more annual dollars overall. So will this new study end the criticism of donor-advised funds? Well, I doubt it will. Uh, for one thing, Vanguard, as you mentioned, was the uh, uh, the organization that put the study together, and they make money off of donor-advised funds, so naturally they're going to be a big supporter of the funds. That's not to say that I don't trust the research. I do trust the research, but um, you know, I think that it's probably going to take a whole lot more research to convince people that donor-advised funds don't end up becoming sort of that bigger warehouse where the money just sits. In fact, a perennial criticism of donor-advised funds is that they provide donors with the benefit of an immediate tax deduction, uh, but there's no deadline for when the money must be distributed. Now, I should say that that's also prompted some lawmakers in the last year or two to propose that there be a uh, a requirement to give away at least 5% of the assets in a donor-advised fund every year. That's the rule that a foundation must adhere to right now. Uh, I think that this new research is not going to keep those kinds of revisions to the donor-advised fund law from being talked about. Ministry Watch has done the latest in its quarterly survey of ministry executives. What did it learn? Well, we learned that a significant number of the nation's largest Christian ministries uh, use non-disclosure agreements. Uh, that was uh, according to the survey that we did in April. Almost forty-nine, almost half, forty-nine percent, said that they don't employ non non-disclosure agreements, but forty-six percent said that they do. Now, I should add that there's been a heated debate in recent years about whether non-disclosure agreements are an appropriate practice for Christian ministries. Uh, NDAs are made between parties to protect confidential information. They prevent persons from discussing information covered by the terms of that agreement. It is binding, and violations can result in a lawsuit. Not all of those who use NDAs use them to silence former employees, which has been the main criticism of NDAs. Yeah, that's right. NDAs can be used for legitimate purposes. Um, of the survey respondents, in fact, 65% said that they use NDAs to protect proprietary information, which can include things like donor records, client information, and program methodologies. Few question the legitimacy of these kinds of agreements. About 27%, though, said that they use NDAs because they are required to do so so by third-party vendors. A vendor may need, for example, donor information to provide the contracted service, but both parties agree to keep that information confidential. NDAs, though, that are used as part of a severance situation or a settlement are the most controversial and According to our survey, about 27% of ministries do use NDAs for that purpose. And, and some outsiders say that 
this is a way for groups to cover up wrongdoing within the ministry. Warren, we're in a new month now, the month of May, and there's a new list on the website. Yeah, that's right. Our annual list of the largest foreign missions and Bible translation organizations in the country is now up on our website. This year, Wycliffe Bible Translators retained the top spot with nearly $240 million in revenue, $238 million to be precise. But the American Bible Society surged into second place, topping $100 million in revenue. Now, you can find the entire list on the Ministry Watch website, and we'll link to it in the show notes uh, for those of you listening on the app. Who's in the Ministry Spotlight this week? We've got Charity Water, also known as Charity Global, in the ministry spotlight. It began in 2006 to help impoverished people groups around the world get safe, clean water and basic sanitation. The ministry employs about 100 people, but the majority of the money that comes into Charity Water actually goes right back out to local partner organizations who do the actual boots-on-the-ground work. And because of that, um, Charity Water has been something of a controversial organization. Its founder, Scott Harrison, is kind of a celebrity who hangs out with other celebrities, and he's been enormously effective at raising money. The ministry takes in more than $100 million a year, but it spends nearly twice as much as its peer group spends on fundraising activities. That said, it, uh, Charity Water is currently funding thousands of projects around the world, more than 6,000 currently active projects, for that matter. Uh, to find out more, you can go to the Ministry Watch website and look for the Ministry Spotlight right on the front page of the website. And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference? Trail Life USA is uh, at the top of the list this week. They are celebrating the launch of their 1,000th troop. Uh, you may remember that Trail Life was formed as an unapologetically Christian alternative to the Boy Scouts of America just 10 years ago, with a focus on adventure, mentorship, and discipleship for boys within the context of a Christian worldview. So it's pretty remarkable that in just 10 years, the organization now has over 1,000 troops. Trail Life, by the way, uh, has a, a one-star financial efficiency rating from Ministry Watch and an A transparency grade in the Ministry Watch database. I also want to single out the Ruth Project in Illinois. It continues to grow in its mission to support foster families. With over 700 volunteers from churches, businesses, and local area communities, uh, it's also welcoming foster families to its recently launched 33-acre farm where it hosts events and provides other long-term support. Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, I want all of my friends in Orlando and Central Florida to know that I'll be there in two weeks for the annual meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters, and I'll be holding a lunch for readers and donors on May 22nd at Carabas Italian Grill, which is near the Orlando airport. If you live in the Orlando area, you should have received an invitation already to this lunch, and we've got about a dozen people signed up for the event. I should mention it's absolutely free, but again, you do need to sign up so that we can give the restaurant a proper headcount. And by 
the way, I'll be doing similar lunches in Colorado Springs and in Albuquerque, New Mexico in June. So keep an eye on your inbox if you live in those areas for invitations to those events. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Bob Smetania, Shannon Cuthrill, Emily McFarlane Miller, Kim Roberts, Jessica Adderalde, Eric Obernoer, Rob Pitzer, Christina Darnell, and you Warren. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.